welcome to the Sermonary Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Taylor, and I am here with my good friend, Jack Hester. Jack is the teaching pastor at Mars Hill Church in Mobile, Alabama. You've met him before on some previous episodes. And today I have Jack here talking about some practical tips for public speaking. Jack, obviously you preach every single week pretty much, and you have been for, uh, I don't know how long, 25, 30 years? Yeah, going on that. Yeah, 25. Yeah. So, uh, and so you have a lot of experience doing it and, and, and I hear compliments all the time from people that, uh, just find you to be a really dynamic speaker, somebody who's really captivating, easy to listen to, but have a way of being able to teach things really well. And that comes through a lot of practice. And I think public speaking is a learned skill. I think, you know, even though it's probably, it is actually the number two biggest fear in the world under spiders. Uh, I think it is definitely a skill that people can learn, even if they're not good at it. And obviously, it's something that um, that I believe pastors should improve. In fact, let me ask you that. What do you think is important uh, about the fact of pastors, you know, public speaking isn't, I think it's something they want to be better at, uh, but they don't always think about practicing it. Why do you think it's important to become a better public speaker? As a well, pastor? you know, pub, yeah, public speaking, you, it, you know, it's a kind of thing that you should grow in just like anything else. I mean, if you look back at a sermon, you know, that I preached in the beginning and versus one today, I hope I sound more intellectual. I hope I sound smarter, like I've grown. Um, and so if we're going to grow in aspects of our understanding and our learnedness, then why would we not grow in the way we present it as well? Because uh, if our content matters that much, then you want to put it in the delivery mechanism that's going to be the most effective. So it's just as important to practice that aspect of it as it is, you know, your exegesis and your study and all that. Uh, I always think of preaching as both an art and a science. And the science of it is your exegesis and your art of it is how you deliver it um, and how you encase it, whether that's um, adding your humor to it, your own touch, your personality, your own personal stories. I mean, it's kind of like the hermeneutics coming in with your exegesis. And that's a very, very important part of delivery. And it really requires some practice. Yeah. Well, I want to dive into these six tips because you have some really practical tips. And some of them uh, we, uh, we, we maybe have incorporated somehow, but haven't been real uh, focused on some of these things. And I think all six of these are things that you've actually taught me. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I served under Jack for, uh, I, I guess, about 12 years and filled in teaching for you uh, when you were out. Um, yeah. And so I had the opportunity to preach pretty often uh, when, I, when I served under you. And so these are things that you taught me. Uh, and so I just want to dive into them. This one's probably, this first one is probably the biggest one that you would teach me. In fact, you would get on to me about this all the time, but learning to read ahead in your notes. Tell yeah. me what that is and uh, how do you do it? Uh, what does it look like when, you know, when this needs to be fixed? Okay. So uh, a lot of people um, like to have a manuscript when they preach, whether they use the manuscript literally or not. Um, they like to have one in front of them. And I think it's actually a very good idea. Some people like to have little notes. They're very comfortable with that. And if it works with you, that's great. Um, but I always think that a manuscript is probably a better preparation tool simply because um, you just never know when you might use that sermon again and you're not as familiar with it, but you can pull it out and you've got everything there. You don't have to remember like one line, what your illustration was and go on, what was that illustration again? So the more you write out, the more you can use it without having to go back and figure out what that is. But when you have that, you also got to learn how to read in a way that your head isn't down the whole time. 
Uh, and so the way that you do that is you have to learn to read a line ahead. And it really is difficult at first, but once you practice it a few times, it actually gets very easy and your mind actually goes there. And it's like you read and once you pick up that line and you look up and you begin to deliver that, then immediately before you finish that sentence, you train your eyes to come back down and a good practice is to swivel the other way so that you're also panning your audience as you learn how to do this. So as you pick your note up and you're reading that next line, you come up and there is no period or pause. Because a lot of times if you listen to speakers who haven't practiced this, um, they, they will read something and then they, they, they look up and read it. And when they get to the end of that thought, there's a pause, they look down and they look back up again and start talking. That's what you want to eliminate is that pause right there. And the way you do that is learn to read ahead. So as you've read that first sentence and you're delivering that first sentence, as you know, you're coming to the last three words of that and you know what they are in your head, you're continuing to speak. You go ahead and pick up the next part of that next line and you begin to deliver that before your eyes come back down. That way, your eyes are coming down in the middle of a sentence, not at the end and creating that pause. That makes and it's just simple as just grabbing something. You can grab a book. You can grab any kind of context. You can grab anything that doesn't even make sense and practice it over and over. Matter of fact, uh, it's probably a really good practice to do this with something you're not familiar with because it trains your eyes all the more and your brain all the more. I actually do this with, uh, with my son when I'm reading some of his books to him. And, and, I'm, and I'm consciously thinking about this because I do think that this tip is probably one that you need to continue to practice as well, because you're, you're really training your brain to do two things at once, right. to, to say what you're saying and also read something that's completely different than what you're saying. Yes. Um, and so you're training your brain to, to, to simultaneously work. So I do this when I'm reading to my son and I actually practice looking at him and reading ahead and, and, and also speaking, uh, yep. because those are books that I'm not super familiar with either. And sometimes they can be a little bit complicated. Well, um, you know, children's books are actually a great one for this. I have another tip that goes along with it, but Dr. Seuss books are, yeah. are great for this well, because they don't make a lot of sense and the words are very difficult. Um, so to practice that, really trains your brain even more to very effectively drop down, pick up those words and then pick your head back up and deliver those. Yeah. Well, that ties us into the next one, which is, you know, with this concept, with this idea of reading, or if you're using a manuscript or even notes, even if you have an outline, you know, we tend to kind of read the bullet from the outline sometimes too. Uh, but your next one is practice reading and not sounding like you're reading. Uh, and this yes. is another one that you used to get on. Then, In fact, this was probably the biggest feedback that you used to give me when I was younger is make your reading voice sound different than your speaking voice. Uh, right. But because I was using a manuscript, a lot of times they sounded the same. Well, you know, how many times have you heard a guy who's speaking on stage and you know the guy and you just sit there and think, he doesn't sound any like, anything like that in person. And it's almost like they have a preachy voice and then they have a conversation voice. And then the worship and, voice. And a worship leader voice. Worship <laughs> Praise the yeah. Lord. Right. <laughs> Very breathy and, and deep thinking. Yes. No, but your preacher voice, you want to make sure that you're connecting with the crowd. The way you connect with the crowd is the way you connect with them off the stage is having that conversation with them. And, you know, when you dialogue with someone, it, you, you don't sound like this rote reading high words. So what you want to do to practice this is get something that you're not familiar with and practice reading it, but say it in a way that sounds like you talking. 
And then what you can do to emphasize things that you are reading is you can go to that reader voice. Like when you're reading scripture or you're reading a quote from a commentary, then you go into that where you're reading it and it sounds just like you're reading it. But you know, if your whole sermon sounds like that, then it's hard to differentiate when you're reading something and when you're just talking. So one thing you want to do is practice that by grabbing something like a Dr. Seuss book and trying to make it sound like it's actually your own words, like you're talking like that. And, and it's a difficult thing at first, but the more you do it, the easier it becomes for you. And the reason I say that that's important is because you never know when um, you might have to step up and, and preach a sermon that you aren't prepared to. Uh, maybe you have the notes there, or maybe you grabbed an old one that you haven't used in a long time, or maybe you have someone else's notes. They got sick that day and they're like, hey, I can't make it. Here's my notes. If you've developed this kind of skill, then you can take anything and still make it relatable and make people think that you're talking to them from your own perspective, even though it may be someone else's thoughts, you can kind of make them your own in that sense. And I'm not saying, you know, being deceptive in that, but it's all about your delivery and making it easy for people to hear and understand the things that you're talking about. When you have a conversation with someone, it's so much more memorable than if you hear somebody reading something to you. And so that's what we're going for is that memorable experience for those who are listening to the word of God being taught. And so we want to do everything we can on the art side of this to make that easy for them. Yeah. The, the do, using a Dr. Seuss book or even a poem, something that has a natural rhythm or a cadence and then trying to speak it without that rhythm or that cadence. Um, that's exactly right. And not only that, um, that's a really good point of trying to take out the rhythm and cadence that you would naturally find in something like that. Um, but, you know, don't be afraid to also uh, paraphrase as you go. I mean, that's a really good skill to develop as as you read it. You know, uh, I don't like green eggs and ham. I don't like them, Sam. I am. You, you might instead, as you develop that skill, you'd be like, I don't like green eggs and ham. I don't like them in a boat. I don't like them with a goat. I don't like them anywhere. I don't like them here. I don't like them there. See, that sounds more like me talking than if I was to hit that cadence and hit all of those rhymes. So when you practice reading something and then kind of putting it in your own words and making it sound like your conversation, it becomes much more uh, impactful when you deliver that. That's good. Um, well, part of this, I, I think the reading your notes and, and, you know, especially going back to that first tip of, of, um, you know, being able to look down at your notes, reading ahead, you know, a lot of pastors have problems getting lost in their notes. And so one of your tips is color coordinating your notes, um, so that, you know, one, I guess where you are and, uh, what kind of content you're preaching. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So this goes all the way back to when I first started back in before we really even use computers and online software and stuff to, you know, create sermons and uh, you, you used highlighters and, you know, color pencils. So I would always make sure that all of my illustrations look a certain way. All of the quotes from scripture look a certain way. And then I would, you know, kind of bullet point or whatever things that I knew or points that I had to hit underneath a thought. And Sermonary actually is a great tool for this because, you know, they allow you to color code those boxes. So each box is, could be a thought. It could be an illustration. It could be a joke or whatever you want it to be. And then you could color coordinate those so that maybe green is always your illustrations. Well, your eyes are already picking up that, you know, oh, I'm going to that illustration next. I see that green box right there. So you're already preparing that in your mind as you're finishing finishing that thought, knowing that you're going to come down and pause for a moment and go into that illustration. So, you know, to give you an example, maybe I'm finishing a thought on something that Jesus was teaching and then I pause and go, 
you know, a good way of thinking about that is, and what allows me to do that pause and to kind of reflect for a moment and kind of inviting everyone into my thought process and my reflection is knowing where I'm going and knowing that that's an illustration that's coming next. If I know that, then I can do that pause right there. And that actually even buys me a little time to think about how I want to deliver that illustration as well. So when you begin to color code those boxes, like in seminary or seminary, you, you then begin to highlight things for your eyes to follow as you go through all of your notes. And it's just a great way of organizing it, but it's also a great way of understanding the flow of how you're going to deliver that message. Yeah. Um, that, that, the, one of the things that you talk about is in these transitions and, and obviously that silence can help, um, you know, bring people back into that pause. Uh, but you talk about humor. Uh, and this is, this is probably one that I think a lot of pastors struggle with because, you know, either what we think in our head is funny, isn't really funny, or, you know, for those of us that don't always have a great filter, something just comes out and it doesn't quite land the way that we thought it might land. What do you do with humor in that case? Okay. Well, I, I love humor, but I'm probably one of the worst people to deliver humor. I'm not uh, a comedian by trade. And so, but I love to use humor when I talk. And so one way I had to get over that was, you know, in the beginning, when you start to deliver those, you're like, man, this is so good. When you're, you know, up at four o'clock in the morning on Sunday, putting together your message, you're like, oh, this is so funny. It's going to be great. And it was at four o'clock in the morning when you're uh, sleep deprived, uh, probably hungry. Yes. And then when you deliver it, I mean, you're just expecting this response and you just get these dead looks and nobody responds at all. And it's kind of like this awkward moment. And then you kind of pause and you're like, oh, no. And then you jump back into your message. Well, the best thing to do there is two tips right here. So you get two for one on this one. The first one is whenever you write humor into your message, don't ever pause. Um, Just keep going. And here's the thing. If people respond, then you can pause and kind of laugh with them and smile or nod your head. But if no one responds, it's kind of like you didn't really expect anybody to respond anyway. And you just kind of keep going. And so there's not that awkward pause. The second way of dealing with it is to acknowledge that it didn't go over very well. So you say something and you look and you just go, all right, people, that was a joke. This is where you got to laugh. Come on. You got to encourage me in this. And then you go, wow, that was probably a whole lot funnier in my head at two o'clock this morning than it was right now. So, you know, you just admit that. And then what you'll find is even though people didn't laugh at your joke, they will laugh at the fact that you're laughing at your joke. And so it kind of still brings people in. It's still just as effective as a good joke would have been. And so you don't really miss anything in that. So if you just plan ahead those two ways, especially if you have one that you're not really sure how it's going to go over. Um, plan one of those two approaches to it as you deliver it in your message. Uh, that's good. And uh, I think very practical for, for people that struggle with humor in their sermons. Yeah. Uh, and so, I encourage people to use humor. I mean, it, it you know, it can be daunting, it can be, but it needs to be there because humor is one of the things that draws people in. And uh, so it is a very effective tool in delivering your message. Just make sure you know your audience. That's uh, right. Uh, so the, the fifth one is, um, you know, being able to be expressive, you know, a, a lot of times pastors will, will, will come in and, you know, we can't be on every, every, every day. And so right. we may not have the energy or we may just not be feeling it. Um, how can you make sure that when you're preaching, you're being expressive and showing uh, that expressive attitude? Yeah. So this is something I practice a lot. And if you ever watch videos of me 
um, teaching, you'll, you'll kind of see me use this, but there's days that, you know, I'm just tired and uh, I may have gotten up because I've had a rough week and really put the sermon together for the most part. Maybe I read, read and studied, you know, underlying things, but I just really never had time to organize it. And so I'm literally four o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, putting it together, making slides. And so by the time you deliver it your first time, even your second time, if you have us, you know, two services that you have to preach, um, you, you're just tired. And sometimes you get to that point, preachers do, where you're just like, man, if I could just get through this one, then I can, you know, go take a nap or rest the rest of the day. But you have to come back to the fact of what you're doing and how divine and holy the art of preaching is. And so you have to, you know, get into that moment. And one of the ways that you can help yourself is that when you talk, open your mouth really big. Now, I'm not saying that when you deliver it, but when you're practicing it, because here, I'll give you like a little illustration here. Uh, when I talk like this and I barely move my mouth, just look how my face never responds. But if I open my mouth bigger, you can't help but your eyes respond, your ears respond, your mouth responds, your cheeks respond, your eyebrows and your forehead respond. So the bigger you open your mouth, the more expressive you're going to be. And then all of a sudden, when your face gets into it, your body gets into it, your shoulders, your hands start coming out. But if I just talk like this and I barely open my mouth, everything else just wants to sit down and shut down. And so um, that's one little bitty practical thing that if you practice it and you're cognitive of the sense of, you know, I need to make sure that I'm more expressive because I'm tired. When you're cognizant of that approach, then you can be sure to open your mouth a little bit more. So you practice it in grandeur kind of gestures, but you actually use it with just, you know, going a little bit further than what you normally would. So like what I'm doing right now is about as big as you would want to get you know, when you're actually delivering the message, but when you're practicing, I would go really big and open your mouth and use your tongue and your head. And then all of a sudden you start getting into it a little bit more. So it's a great way, number one, for you to feel the passion of what you're teaching, but number two, for other people to pick up on it and to um, feel that energy and emotion of what you're teaching as well. So when you're practicing your sermon, really what you want to do is overact. Exactly. Uh, basically when you're doing it and get into that mind frame. Yeah, because you know that when you get in front of the crowd, you're going to dial everything back a little bit, right? So that means when you practice, you want to dial it up a little bit. And so whenever you're going through your, your message, and I would say this, you know what, um, if you're just starting out in ministry and, the, and you are teaching, man, I would encourage you to go over your sermon as many times as you can before you deliver it on Sundays. And then if you do that in the beginning, you'll be amazed at how little you'll have to go over it later on because you just become very comfortable with how you write your sermon and how things go. You can read over it one time and kind of get the flow of it. But the earlier on you do it, I used to, and not everybody has time to do this, but when I first started, I would read over it 10 times out loud, not read it, but out loud, I would say it. And I would just practice those times when I really wanted to emphasize something or make it really big and drag it out or say something really quickly. You know, that's what really got people's attention because there's a variation in your voice and you can use those moments when you slow things down to really bring people's attention to what you're saying there. See, like I just did there. That's a, that was yeah, a good illustration. That, that is a good illustration. And, and the problem is, is if we don't practice it, we could be using those same emotions over and over again. And it's not differentiating. You know, if you get really serious over and over again in your sermon, people are not going to know what's the serious parts and what's, you know, that's right. Yeah. It becomes just as monotone as being monotone. Right. I mean, if you're not 
changing it and being and if consistent. you're overly excited about everything it's you know you've got to have you got to practice where am, exactly I gonna, right. where am i going to go down that's good uh, and then your last one is 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 eye contact because you know we can't have this habit of looking in the same spot every single time and not even right. noticing it uh, because we can get so lost in what we're doing what is your advice on, on making sure we're 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 looking around the room well i would just say this eye contact is just as important in preaching as it is in a personal conversation. Uh, we all have those teachers in college who we know why they're teachers because they had the most awkward social skills. You know, I had one teacher that he would just, he would look from up to the ceiling and he would look this way. He'd never look you in the eye. He would I never had one look that would always stare at the Adam's apple. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. I mean, we've got those awkward people that we all are familiar with, or even that guy at your church, you know, and he just looks all around. He don't look you in the eye. Um, or he's constantly looking away, but you know, that person, when they're looking right in your eye and you feel like I have their attention, they're really paying attention to me and listening, or as they're talking, they're looking right at you and they have your attention. Well, eye contact is important in preaching as well. There's a little trick to it though, in preaching, because you can't have eye contact with everybody in the room. And the beauty of it is you actually don't have to have eye contact with anybody in the room. It just has to look like you are. And so you can actually look over the top of people's heads. So if you're preaching in the same place all the time, um, so in other words, same auditorium, same church, whatever it may look like, especially if you have one that kind of goes out. So in other words, you've got people on this side and people on this side. What I tell, what I teach myself, what I tell people to do is go ahead in that place and pick a spot over to your left, pick a spot right in front of you and pick a spot over to your right. And this is helpful if you have cameras. I mean, if your church is like, um, you know, doing the, uh, a pretty big kind of production of your online streaming. So you got multiple cameras, then that's what you want to look at. You know, you want to look at where those cameras are in those general directions. But if you don't just pick any kind of direction, any kind of spot on the wall, that's just above people's heads. And what you want to practice is as you're doing that practicing in your house or whatever, envision those spots on the wall and look up and make that you know, point over here and then kind of look back down and then come back over here and then look back and look up ahead and then learn to even move while you're talking. So I might be looking ahead. And as I finish the sentence, I'll look back to this other spot. It just trains your brain to not talk to the same group of people the whole time. Uh, I think we've probably all been in that place before where we have a speaker who actually is very good, but we never felt like he was talking to us because he kept talking in the same direction or the same group of people. I struggle with this in the auditorium that we have, because for whatever reason, I don't want to turn really strongly to my right. I do very good with my left. I do very good in front of me, but I have to be very disciplined to turn my body to my right and, and to talk in that direction. So it's all about being disciplined and it's all about picking out those spots and making sure that you're talking to all of those spots. And you'll be amazed at how many people feel like that you are making eye contact with them. Um, just because you're looking in that area and you're looking over the top of their heads. I think that's good. And I, I think what I would encourage everybody that's listening to this is, is to take this list of six things. So learning to read ahead, practice reading and not sounding like you're reading, uh, coordinating your notes, uh, using humor, opening your mouth really big, having that energetic, um, uh, expressive uh, demeanor and then eye contact and making sure your eye contact is good. Taking those things, those six things, writing them down. And then for the next few weeks, if you can video your sermons, many of you are already doing this anyway, 
and and review it like go back and watch yourself and and evaluate you, you yourself on those six things probably really five things because the color coordinating you couldn't really evaluate on the video but are you doing those things well or where can you improve i, I think going back and watching yourself is probably the best way uh to improve your public speaking skills yeah and, and i would encourage like you know uh sermonary has a great setup for preaching from your ipad and you know, one of the things that also is less distracting is that turning of pages. Um, so when you can flip your notes and no one knows that you've turned that page, that helps you all the more. So if you could actually consolidate all these things into that one program, so you got things that are color coded, you know where you're going, you've learned to pick your head up and go in this direction. Uh, something like Sermonary really helps you to pull all those things together into one kind of approach and then you practice that over and over again, and you'll be amazed at how more comfortable you'll feel with something like that in front of you. That's awesome. You don't even work for Sermonary and you give, giving it a shout out. That's uh, exactly appreciate right. that. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, preaching from my iPad uh, changed a lot of things for me. One, because it didn't take me so long to print out my notes and get them in, you know, because I would put them in my binder and paper clip, paper clip them and all those kind of things. Um, but it just, it made preaching, I would go through and, uh, and practice my sermon and I could easily edit because, you know, there were things I wanted to say better or I missed, you know, missed something or wanted to emphasize something. And so I could go in and edit it, uh, and, and, and made things a whole lot easier. So I, I, I do agree that preaching from your iPad, uh, really is a game changer, whether you're using sermonary or something else, I highly recommend sermonary. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that turning that page, can be a little bit more distracting, but just the practicality yeah. of, of, and it is, it's just consolidating right. into that one, everything into that. It just makes it easier to practice yeah. so much, so much easier. Well, thanks Jack so much for sharing those tips with us. And uh, I know we're going to have you on in the future again. You've got, uh, you've got a, a book that you're working on that I'm really excited about uh, having to do with the topic of pastoral burnout, which is something that we've been talking about a lot. And so when that book releases, we're going to have you back on here to talk through that and uh, and some stuff that you're putting together some resources that you're putting together for pastors that are dealing with pastoral burnout or want to avoid uh having to uh deal with pastoral burnout because it's a real yeah thing. i'm telling you it's an epidemic in our culture and you know with the way things are going in our culture it's only going to get worse so we've, we've got to be proactive on that so yeah. yeah i will look forward to that cool well thank you so much and uh, we'll see you next time thank you